0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So we are, I think, like in our third week uh, with Accelerate. We're into the promised land now. They're camped out at Gilgal. Uh, We've talked about access on uh, Sunday morning. So now we're going to talk about how access leads you to live an empowered life. I do not believe the Lord ever shows you favor, gives you an open door, gives you access, gives you a new territory to conquer without actually empowering you. I think he all. I know that he always gives us uh, the tolls, but not just the tolls, but the ability to properly use them when he brings us into new territory. You know, I don't know if you, if you have ever faced this or not, but when you're in new territory, that's the scariest time sometimes, We'll hear it this way. The Christians, we won't say we're scared. We'll say, I'm very overwhelmed right now at times. And that's like a really good place to be because you know that you're completely in over your head and you're completely dependent on what he is going to do uh, for you. So that's, that's a, great, a great place to be. He takes you deeper than you can swim and then he teaches you to swim. So what I want to do, uh, we want to talk about that empowered life tonight uh, through a situation that happened in Joshua chapter six. Again, they're through the Jordan River. Uh, The men are circumcised. They set up the 12 stones. They had the Passover meal to commemorate being delivered uh, from Israel. And now we're in a part here in uh, Joshua chapter six. Which leads up to the fall of Jericho. So, I'm gonna, if you want to turn with me, they're not going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you to give you really good context. Then we'll break some of it up. You ready? All right, so it says Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors that's like really good that's a really good promise right there not just the territory but the king and the warriors you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for 6 days like please the next time like mark this down somewhere in your phone as like a reminder the next time you're talking to a friend or a spouse and you say, the Lord's giving me something very weird to do. I don't know if I can obey this. I, it's, I'm just uncomfortable. Just follow this story out. Like reread this and see how insane this seems in the natural and what God does through it. You're going to have to tell me what verse I'm on as I look up. All right. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, Where am I at? On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times. So not just one time, but seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, he may have been training them on this type of warfare, horn blowing, marching, yelling. There's just no evidence in scripture. So to me, I'm gonna take this up as a very strange command that the Lord is bringing them to, uh, just like with Gideon and so many other people in scripture, where they're left thinking like, if you don't come through, I am going to fail miserably. And that, I think at one point is the the doorway, the key to entering a life of the miraculous. Like, I'm about to do something. I'm about to lay my hands on a stranger's knee, you know, that's limping. And if you don't come through, I can't do a thing. And this is the position that they're putting them in, that God's putting them in. Best position to be in. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Covenant. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing their horns as they marched. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. So even that, I mean, he, he's allowing that worshipful sound of the horn. It was used as a battle cry here, but even uh, throughout the, the uh, Old Testament, you see uh, the Levites, the worship leaders, actually leading people into battle. It's pretty amazing. It's not the armed guards. It's the, it's the ones that are worshiping the Lord. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing their horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you, shout. Then, shout. Pretty clear battle plan. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once a day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. You guys, all right? Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. Like you don't see disobedience here at all. You see like, all right, we're gonna go around and march. We're gonna blow these horns and we probably look silly, but we're going for it. On the second day, They again marched around the town uh, once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around it seven times. So they are uh, obeying the specific commands of the Lord. The seventh time around, as the priests sound the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town." Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed and offering, as an offering to the Lord. Isn't that interesting that destroying sin and destroying enemies of the Lord, not people now, destroying the works of the enemy, are an offering to the Lord. Like we usually think of our money as an offering or coming forward at the altar to kneel down as an offering. We sing as an offering. We say, I give you my offering but actually destroying evil in your life is just as much as an offering to the Lord. It's pretty cool. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her house will be spared uh, for she protected our spies. And if you go back, uh, when uh, Joshua sent two spies in for the three days, uh, they were supposed to go in there for three days. They went to the whole country. They ran into Rahab, they created an agreement. If you have the scarlet rope hanging down, we will not destroy you or your family. It says, don't take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. It's interesting when the Lord says in the final, uh, when we come face to face and our deeds are accounted, everything like the the hay, the straw, the rubble, all that stuff, depending upon what your translation says, is gonna be destroyed by the fire. And only the things, only those fine precious gems and gold and so on will withstand that. The valuable things of the Lord, this is not just representative of things, but our heart after him. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. The Israelites charged straight into town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Now, again, for seven days, they they had time to think about this, that they're going to go in and destroy everything. Maybe everybody wasn't comfortable with that, but they went through with the commands of the Lord, taking them way out of their comfort zone to do something to prove to the Lord they're being faithful with how they're co-laboring with him. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house, bring her out along with all of her family. So the men who had been the spies went in, they brought out Rahab, father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Again, the picture of the fire of God throughout scripture is a refining fire, purging everything that does not belong. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury in the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house, because she had hidden the spies uh, that Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So, cool. like, you think of what a prostitute's lifestyle was, and she simply connected her heart to the men of God. It's like she came into her own covenant uh, with the men of God, and how the Lord spared, not just spared her life, but she actually got to live with the people of God. It's amazing. At this time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. Verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. So if we see in verse one, it says, The gates of Jericho, they were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or to go out. I feel like when we're talking about access, the Lord was giving them brand new access now, right? It wasn't just through the Jordan River. It wasn't just in Gilgal, but now it was further access. And what their actions had already done by walking through the the Jordan River created fear in the enemies. I started thinking, wait a minute, if the Lord's giving us access into new land, it's not just to be happy and have a party, it's to push back darkness so the kingdom of God can advance everywhere we go. So I want to live in such a way, and I want to believe in such a way that as the Lord is giving you access, and you're walking in faith, being empowered, that the enemy will actually be afraid of you that the enemy will be bound in such a way that there's no going in, no going out. They're shuddering, thinking, what is this man or what is this woman about to do? Now we know spiritual attack will occur and so on, but we want, we want the demonic to fear us because of the name of Jesus that we're carrying. If it happens in the old covenant before they had the Holy Spirit in them, it can happen in the new covenant and should be. Right? If Jesus said that, we are sent with the same assignment that he was sent, and then elsewhere in scripture, he said that he was sent to destroy the works of the enemy, then that's on our job description. So in verse two, I give you Jericho, its king, all its strong warriors. Then he says, you and your fighting men should march around the town, And then he talks about the ram's horn. Then he gives more instruction. So what we see here is that the Lord is giving them a very clear promise, a very clear vision, and a very clear marching orders of what to do. He does not just say, hey, guys, start marching around the town, start blowing horns, start shouting. But he gave them vision before them to say, I've already given you this land. What that is to do is to build enough faith in them that they take the risk that they took into march for seven days, blow horns, and then shout. And I feel like this. I feel like that there are Christians who are good with their marching orders. Like, I know I'm supposed to be in this profession. I know I'm supposed to be at home with my kids. I know I'm supposed to be building up wealth for this reason. But they don't actually have the long-term vision ahead of them. I feel like because us Americans are really good at doing tasks and being busy, That sometimes we're like, I'm doing all of these Christian things. I'm doing all of these religious things. I'm doing all this stuff for God. And I have actually no clue where he's taking me. Like I haven't just sat in his presence enough to say, this is why you've created me. I actually sense that I'm on the earth, at least for this season, to accomplish this vision. Not just these little tasks. I honestly don't believe there's one person on the face of this earth that God has you on an ambiguous journey or that he's gonna have you walk and do all this religious stuff just for piety's sake and then run into a dead end. I actually believe it. Every person that's on the face of this earth, not one of, not one of you was a mistake. There's a plan and a purpose. So you might be thinking, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm doing all of the right things and I just don't know where he's taking me. Stop doing all of the right things. Stop doing all of everything for a minute and rest in him. And ask him, why, why are my marching orders looking like this? What's the promise ahead of me that looks completely impossible? What's the vision that you have for my family, for my job, for my life, whatever it is. If you just stop, some of you, some of you are still wondering why I said stop doing all of the right things. You know what I mean? Just stop, <laughs> stop doing so much and take time to press into the Lord So what's the marching orders for for this? They're supposed to march around the town once a day for seven days, or six days in the seventh day, seven times. And then we also see there are gifts being given or there are responsibilities, I should say, being given about this ram's horn. So it goes on in verse four to say, on the seventh day, march around seven times with the priests blowing the horns. So we have marching orders of marching around. Then we have the blowing of horns. Then the one long blast, then the people shout. So I was asking the Lord earlier this week, like, what does this have to do with empowered life? You gave them more access. How did you empower them? I feel like just in these verses that we can see that each one of us, we have marching orders. We have a horn to blow and we have a message to shout. In every single one of your lives, God wants to put a vision and a promise in front of you. And with that, you will receive marching orders. You'll receive a horn to blow and you'll receive a message to shout. So if you think about the marching orders, we, each one of us, if you go all the way back to the garden, Adam was given dominion over the earth, over all of the animals and so on. But he was also given a task to be fruitful and multiply, knowing that Adam could not physically have dominion over physical space all over the earth. So God's plan was is that his glory would cover the earth. They would obey him, be in relationship with him, continue to be fruitful and multiply and his glory covers the earth and his descendants uh, assist in having dominion over that. We lost that because of disobedience. Jesus regains it, hands us the keys of the kingdom. Now he's building his church as we advance his kingdom. So your marching orders is the space in life that he has given you authority influence, and dominion. Again, already include, it's your house. And then you can already include, it's your community. He placed you in your community for a reason. But then go beyond that. It might be a sports team that your child plays on. It might be the community center that you hang out at. It might be the job that you work at, the career, whatever it is. Your marching orders are where your feet are taking you that you have the authority already. With me? With me? All right, so we have marching orders. Secondly, we have a horn to blow. They had a natural horn that seven of them were supposed to blow. Each one of us, this is our spiritual gifts. These are our passions. These are the things that God has actually given us as tools to then have authority with. Does this make sense? So like the the difference, like power and authority, we've talked about this before, that the the power is the gun in your hand uh, for a police officer. The authority is the badge his ability, his permission to use with the authority that he has, the power that's been placed in his hand. So the Lord's placing tools in your hand, but he's also giving you authority to use those things. So we have to ask the Lord, not just like, hey, what are my spiritual gifts? What have you planted so deep inside of me that you, you're making, you, you've designed me to be good at it? right? Some of these things might come natural to you. Maybe the Lord wants to develop some of these things in your life, but this is what, these are the spiritual gifts, the passions, the desires, the talents, all of those things that then give you, uh, what, what can we say, a divine edge, a divine strategy for what to do within your marching orders. If they would have went to Jerusalem, Capernaum, Caesarea, Philippi, If they would have went to any of those other areas and started marching around those towns and blowing their horns, do you think the same result would have happened? Absolutely not. Because for this season, this moment in time, this week of their life, their marching orders was you take dominion over this territory. And the tolls I'm giving you for this territory is a horn. Next city down, the horn won't work. But for this season, this territory, this area of authority, the horn was given. I know some people say, well, I've taken the spiritual gift assessment. And I have these three gifts, so I don't have any of these other gifts. I love what Richie Seltzer said is don't ever let your strengths and spiritual gifts create an excuse for other things you just don't want to do. So I like the tests. I like to take them and see you know, see where I score, but you can manipulate those things too. So go ahead and take the tests and figure things out. Let it create dialogue you have to understand, you, you can ask the Lord, where are you sharpening me right now? What tolls have you placed in my hand for this season? Right? I used to be a, a, a mom of three young kids and now they're out of the house and now I'm a grandmother and now I'm retired. So what tolls are you handing me so I can still have the same authority that you want me to have within my marching orders? So I believe that though, yes, the scripture is very clear that, the, the, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the Father, it's depicted in different ways in scriptures, gives you gifts as they will. So it's whatever their will is, they're giving you those gifts. At the same time, please do not ever put a cap on what gifts the Lord can use through you. This all goes back to the fact in Romans eight that the spirit of Jesus, or the spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So because of that, I'm not going to let an assessment limit what I can do as the Lord gives greater access. My position now, I need more tolls and different tolls than I needed four years ago. It was a different area of authority and responsibility to have dominion over. So we can ask the Lord, what are you giving me here? But always be open to the Lord using you in in new areas. In fact, if we realize the spirit of Jesus lives in us, look through scripture and watch how he operates in all five of the offices. Like we call it the five-fold ministry. Apostle, evangelist, pastor, prophet, teacher. He operates in all five of those. In fact, I believe he operates in all the spiritual gifts. I just can't, I don't see evidence of uh, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. But I went through in spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. Just follow us out. Prophecy. He prophesies over Nathaniel. He says, I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Serving. He washed the disciples' feet. Teaching in front of the 3,000, in front of the 5,000. Encouraging is another gift. Every single day, he encouraged people that were broken and lost. Giving, he taught on money. He demonstrated what it means to be generous. Leading, 12 apostles. Mercy, the adulterous woman. These are spiritual gifts that we're like saying, you qualify for me to have, yet at the same time, we have the spirit that Jesus had in him, and he he operated in all these things. Look at first, you don't have to look at there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, word of wisdom. In Matthew 10, Jesus was talking about what would happen uh, whenever they would go out. And he's giving them wisdom on how to operate when persecution would come. A word of knowledge, he gave it to the woman at the well and in a lot of other areas. Faith, obviously, he lived by faith. Gift of healing, healed all the sick who came to him. Miracles, multiplying the food, calming the storm. We could go on and on and on prophecy. We already talked about discerning of spirits. The disciples want to call down fire. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. And then speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. If any of you can find it, please feel free to text me after service. I'd love to see it. But those are, those are, that's Jesus operating that. So how did Jesus operate as an apostle? Well, in Hebrews 3, 1, it says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Plowing new grounds, he operated as a prophet. He was a true prophet of God, he spoke for God. He was an evangelist. He went around preaching, repent for the kingdom of God as at hand. he was a pastor, he was the great shepherd and he was a teacher, I feel like he was, I believe he was the most creative teacher to ever walk the face of the earth. Hey, we're walking past this, let's just stop and let's just talk about this grapevine for a little bit. And like, you know, we think these are like just really good lessons. This is as he was coming and going in life with his followers. So we have marching orders, we have horn to blow, and we have a message to shout. Now this message to shout might be preaching or teaching God's word, but it also might be teaching science or math or history. That might be the message that you get to shout to the students every single day as you weave in the glory of God when you talk about creation, as you talk about the history of our country and how it was founded on God's principles. Are you following me? It might be shouting the message of how to work in the gas field the most efficient way. You know, we have several people here from uh, Lighthouse Electric. It might be bringing uh, kingdom finances or kingdom ideas into that business so that electrical work is never done done the way that it used to be done in the future. So there's a message that might not sound like gospel to you that you're called to shout. But I guarantee you, if you understand these are part of your marching orders, you have authority in this area, you've been given the horn to blow, you will absolutely tie the gospel message in to the message that you're shouting. So then there's no more sacred and then secular. Oh yeah, Pastor Curt and the pastor, they do all the spiritual stuff and I'm I'm just doing this construction work. Absolutely not. Use that horn to the fullest of your ability. Shout that message and ask the Lord ways to weave the gospel message into what you're already doing. Even Jay, I see him shaking his head back there, back in the prayer room. We pray for it. We prayed for it regularly earlier. And then when I see it, it comes to mind. Drives the bus. His prayer is that he would have more opportunities to share the message of Jesus as he is taking authority over the route that God has given him in this season. So to do this, I like action. I like to take steps toward things. I don't like to just like dream and think big and like let's just keep thinking about things. So for years, I've been asking the question. You might be sick of hearing it. There's some new people in the room. If time, money, and resources were not an issue, what would you do with the rest of your life for God? And I've asked some of you that probably over the last seven or eight years and you know the answer and you've known the answer but you're still not taking those steps. So I'll be the one to remind you. Time, money, and, and resources, they're not an issue. They're not an issue for God so they shouldn't be an issue for us. Like, uh, Lord, could you have equipped us with a few more weapons before we're, we blow our horns? Like, really, we're going to put ourselves in harm's way for seven days walking around this fortified town. They don't know that they're feared yet. We're we're seeing the story from a helicopter view. So think about it. They participated in their marching orders. They blew their horns. They shouted in faith. They were taking steps. Time, money, and resources weren't an issue back then. They're not an issue now. So I I don't know I think about like what the Lord has allowed me to do right now in this position. I can't think of another place. I can't think of something else that I would do to make a difference for God if time, money and resources were an issue. We haven't, we haven't let time, money and resources be an issue. We feel like the Lord's walking streets and I write down the calling that He has for us. So I want to see that in each one of your lives that does not mean full-time vocational ministry. I think sometimes magazine covers give us a completely wrong view of life, even in the Christian realm, because we have created people to be famous in Christianity to the point of like, wow, they left everything. We have, I don't want it, we're on live stream. So we have a missionary uh, who is international that gave up everything, very high paying job, big house, full security, retirement and everything. And he didn't, and she didn't, and their family did not let time, money, and resource be an issue. And now they are abroad doing the work of God. So what does that look like for you? Does that look like retiring to do something else for the Lord? Does it look like starting a new business? Does it look like staying right where you are without all the frustration of, God, will you please get me out of here? Maybe that's what you should be doing right now very simple. God, what are your marching orders for me right now? What is the horn that you've put in my hand to blow? What is the message I should be shouting? But greater than all those things, show me that promise that you have. All of that, that promise, see, because all these other things are practical. You could take steps in them. That promise ahead of you requires you to be in his presence and hear his voice. The more you hear his voice, the more you're going to be able to step out in faith. So in verses six through 10, I'm not going to read through the verses. We already did. These are some of the marching orders. I'm sorry, they had the same marching orders, but look at all the different responsibilities. People were supposed to march. There were armed men with weapons. There were seven priests with ram horns. They were blowing it in the presence of the Lord. I love that again. You can blow your horn outside of the presence of God, and it's unredeemed. Like I I could be a really smart business person or do something really good in the classroom or something good on the gas foot or wherever it is, but you can use all this stuff that God's given you. And if you're not doing it in his presence for his glory, it's unredeemed. You're like wasting all this good stuff that the Lord has given you. Say, God, I'm waking up to do this for you today. I've never driven a truck for your glory in my life, but today I'm driving this truck for your glory. So I'm trusting that you're gonna put somebody in my path. Not so I hit him, but so I can minister to him. He's <laughs> fallen in my path now. He had a leader, Joshua, speaking to them. He had people carrying the ark. He had some of the armed men in front. They were leading the way. They had the vision. They had the insight. They had the boldness. But he also had people behind, people that were willing to have the instinct to protect the backside if the enemy would come. So I want want you to notice, these were orders given from the Lord. There were no tryouts. There were no interviews. Certain men, and then, you know, certain men, obviously women are included in what the Lord wants to do. They were put in a certain place at a certain task for a certain time. In America, you have to make your own way and you have to build your own resume and you have to prove yourself. That is not kingdom. It's not kingdom at all. Kingdom is, Do your marching orders with the horn that you have in your hand and shout your message, and the Lord will absolutely advance you, accelerate you, promote you, and give you greater access. Do you know that he wants you to advance the kingdom more than you want to advance the kingdom? I was praying before service uh, tonight, and I'm just like, Lord, I want my words to have power. Like, when I preach your word, I want it to affect somebody's spirit and soul. I want people to like literally walk out transformed. We use it as a value, and I wanna see that. And as I'm praying, there's like, not doubt, but like, who am I to pray that? There's so many other big name preachers, they preach, oh, my life was changed, all that stuff. And then you come to the realization, wait a minute, God wants my words and my preaching to have more power than I could ever dream. So he wants you to be more effective in preaching the gospel, through your life, through your words, through signs, wonders, miracles, wisdom, problem solving, all that stuff. Way more than you could ever even imagine. We have to walk it out. <clears throat> I started thinking back in my life. I was talking to my boys the other night about leadership. I said, if you can't be a good follower, the Lord just can't, he, he wants you to be a leader, but he won't be able to entrust you to be a leader. Because if you, if you don't follow well, if you don't do marching orders well, when you become a leader, you will treat your followers like slaves. Right? If you're, you know, disrespectful to authority, you're not gonna do this, I'm gonna do things my way, then if the Lord would promote you to that, you would squelch everybody underneath you. So I started thinking like in elementary school, um, you know different things in classes that the Lord put me in charge of. And then in high school, like captain of the football team, vice president of an organization in college. And these, all these different things, uh, even, even some of the committees I was asked to be on as a teacher. I was thinking back, and I, I never, and this is probably true in many of your lives, never tried to get that position. Like, I, I never was like, but I do this well, so can I have this job now? Can I have this responsibility? There was a time uh, where I was an associate pastor and the Lord told me I was going to, to lead a church when I was gonna be a lead pastor. And so there was like some tension in my heart. I didn't know when it was gonna be. And so, and I was like, Lord, like, what are you trying to tell me and what's in my heart? And I was starting to get like overwhelmed with like, what are all the things, and all the stuff you have to build out in your life so you can fill that position. And Lord was like, you know what you do well? I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, you serve well. Like how in the world is that gonna help me lead well? <laughs> But the Lord is taking these individuals that marching around a wall, blowing a horn and shouting. They're simply serving well. And his, his agenda was for them to go city by city and annihilate the enemies. Their disobedience ruined that. But his agenda was for them to annihilate every enemy. Bill Johnson said this, I've kept it very close to my heart, that we need to roll with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. So when you're in rulership over something, you're taking dominion over something, this is not dominion as in heavy handed to people. This is rolling with the heart of a servant. But then when you're in a serving position, you serve with the heart of a king. You serve as if the people you are serving are all royalty. That will get us greater access for his name's sake. So as this access comes, so does empowerment. We use the word empower as one of our values. So I just want to break this out. I'm not going to get as far as I wanted to, but that's all right. There's a difference between equipping and empowering. I think it's important to know because I believe there are a lot of churches that do equipping good. And I'm not sure we've stepped into how to actually empower people. And I feel like as he's giving you access, you will need empowered. You will need equipped but we have to create a culture that empowers people. Or There's gonna be a lot of people with big dreams hitting the ceiling of this church with nowhere to go, creating frustration in their life. So the word equip means to supply the necessary items for a particular purpose, to prepare someone mentally for a particular situation or task. This is a normal definition. So think about it. For us to equip you, we're gonna help you realize what the horn is in your hand right now. We'll do that through conversations, through ministries, times up here praying, assessments, all that stuff. What happens is Ephesians 4.11 out of this. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. The result is that we all come into maturity and faith and knowledge of who Christ is. So what we do is, what we wanna do is find leaders in this local body that are running the strong lane of apostolic, prophetic, teaching, pastoral, evangelistic. We want to use those men and women to equip you to do those things better, more effective for his kingdom. So in the equipping, we're saying, hey, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this. God's giving you this. I see this in your life. I see that in your life. That is the equipping part but it has to go further because now I'm sitting here with four golden horns in my arms. I'm like, I wanna go blow these things. Where can I blow these things? We're like, oh, we don't really know. We've helped, we've helped equip you, but we don't, know what, we don't know what you can do with them. So that word empower means this, to give someone the authority to actually do something, to make someone stronger and more confident, especially in controlling their own life which we are called to have under submission to Christ's lordship and claiming their rights. And this is a secular, this is just a definition uh, through, through a dictionary. But they nailed it. To empower is to take the horn now and say, okay, the equipping is we've helped you identify with the Lord what horns he's placed. Maybe you've identified that you should blow it once, you should blow it all day or however you should do it. But the empowering is this, I have helped you identify what horn is in your hand for this season. Now I'm gonna show you how I know to do it. I'm not gonna to try to fake it so and teach you how he knows how to use it or she knows how to use it. This is just what I've learned by blowing my own horn. So there's modeling happening. And then there's coaching. I mean, why don't you blow your horn? And I just wanna see what the Lord's saying over that. And then there's a releasing. There's a saying, I completely trust you to blow your horn because it's between you and the Holy Spirit. So we have a covering, a prayer covering. We have conversations. We have time, you know, with prayer. But then there's an actual releasing so you can run in your direction and not feel squelched. Do you see the difference? Some of you do. The rest of you are just like literally staring at me like I'm not sure I understand. Like I don't even like to blow horns, Kurt. (laughs) It's not about the horn. (laughs) So you think about it. I was just thinking like, like, what are the, we have a horn in our hands. A horn can be used celebration. A horn can be used in worship. A horn can be used to commemorate the death of a soldier. But on the flip side, a horn can be used to wake up the soldiers. So in empowering is us working together as a team to see how does the Lord want you to use that horn? I even thought like a horn can actually be used if somebody gets too close to you to beat them, not the person, the devil. It could be used as a weapon. A horn can also be used as somebody falls down, grab onto this and you can pull them up. I believe if you're actually believing that he is empowering you with the gifts that he's given you, that he will use those gifts in ways you've never imagined. I guarantee these seven that used to blow their horn never thought it was gonna be used to bring a wall down. So how does Jesus do that? Well, in Luke chapter nine, he called them together and he gave them power and authority. He gave them the gun and the badge. And what what were they supposed to do with it? Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. You know, like little tasks, like raising the dead. He taught them, taught them, taught them, then says, I kind of know you're still gonna mess this up, but go, go, I trust you. Then in John 20, 21, he says, peace be with you. As the father sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. He's trained them and equipped them. And as he breathes and they receive the Holy Spirit, that's now part of the process of being empowered. In Acts chapter 14, 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord. The local church should not be a controlling place. It should be an empowering place where we say, we we are doing everything we know to do to partner with you we're putting you over we're turning you over to the care of the lord so you can run your race with him we're going to run alongside of you yes we'll encourage we'll build up we'll correct we'll do all those things right cuz we're not looking at this as us up here and you here we're all running in our lane together as a family so it's central we want to have very clear a very clear umbrella of what is on our ministry menu we want to be able to say no as much as we say yes we want to know what the Lord's calling us to do uniquely. But we also want to be able to sit in conversations with you and you say, I really have a dream for this. And I'm like, we could say, you know what, we we absolutely know we can't do that under the umbrella of like an official church ministry, but let us help you start a nonprofit. Let us help you dream about a business that you can start with that. Let us just help fan your flame as a Christian, regardless if you ever have a little sign-up sheet at the infill center, you're like, I'm on this specific team. No, maybe the Lord's just gonna send you out somewhere else, but you're under the covering of Central, the partnership, the covenant of this church, but you're running and you're late. You know, we can celebrate that. We've, be, we, we've gotten so religious sometimes of like, well, they never signed up even for a ministry. Yeah, but they're like banging it out over here. Pastor Todd and I, we just met with someone today doing a wonderful job caring for one specific area of life with just a small group of people. But I don't, Todd, I believe that their lives are being changed over this past year. You know what? They didn't come to us and ask for permission. They never said, can I create a ministry out of this? They did it. And you know what? Now that they have a track record and we see the anointing of God on that, this person's life in that area, now we're having conversations saying, wow, we'd love to have this at Central sometime. We're not upset because they didn't ask permission. So that's what we wanna do. We want, we want God to give us individual access, corporate access as we advance the kingdom everywhere we go. We want to believe that as we step into new territory, He's going to show us how to use that horn specifically in this area, or He's going to give us new horns. And then we're going to continue to shout the message that He gives us, and find ways to tie the gospel into that. Amen. Amen. Are you sure you guys are okay tonight? Oh, the horn thing means spiritual gifts. Like I don't know, someone's still struggling. Oh, I was just looking. <laughs> All right. Why don't we stand? There's much more, but it's all right. Two quick things. I had to ask myself the question uh, today. <clears throat> God's sovereignty is all powerful. All of that, I believe it with all my heart. And I had to ask myself the question, if they choose not to march or if they only march five times, if they don't blow their horns or if they go, ah, instead of screaming and shouting as loud as they can, do the walls fall down? That puts the healthiest pressure and excitement in my heart to think that what? It was your will for the wall to fall down, but you actually desired. You love us enough. You love them enough to show I give you access, but I'm also empowering you. So it it actually required a co-laboring that they needed to really walk seven times. They really needed to blow the horn and carry the presence of God. They really needed to shout. And God performed his word. The promise came true. No guilt, no condemnation, no unhealthy pressure. But if you already know a promise is in front of you, just ask the Lord. Refresh my marching orders. I see the promise. Refresh what horns you've placed in my hand. Refresh that message that I can shout, believing that that promise, you you never fail on your word. You always come through. And in verse 27, it says, uh, the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the land. You have to realize there are, there's pictures, images, and types all throughout the old covenant that point to a new covenant. I love with, uh, with one of our missionaries says is that his goal in life is to make Jesus famous. I thought like, you know, man, I would love to just, pl- just plummet, pl- plummet, whatever the word is, pummel, <laughs> that's what it is, all of the works of the enemy that are in front of me, and yet not care at all if my name is ever remembered. Like if we can make Jesus famous with our marching orders, we win. I honor the men and the women of God that have statues and libraries named after them. I'm not against, I'm not against publicly honoring anybody, but in our hearts, if we're never worried if our reputation grows, if we're like, wow, somebody really believes in Jesus now because of something I got to do with him. That's a a good day. Yeah, Lord, I just, I thank you for greater access. I thank you at your will that there will never be a stop to the increase of your kingdom. I thank you so much that you use people like us to actually do this. It's It's amazing the plan that you've put in place. We actually get to do this with you. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus and what it does in the spirit realm. We pray that we would use it well and we would host you well and that we would actually obey what you're calling us to do in each season of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.